The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to From the Pulpit on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, and on this episode, I am presenting sermons by Father Stephen McKenna. We are pleased to present From the Pulpit free of charge to our listeners by the gracious sponsorship of sggresources.org. On this episode, Father Stephen McKenna will be discussing the importance of dying to self and distractions. And now we present From the Pulpit. During the French Revolution, the, the monastic orders of the church were viewed as having really no purpose for society. By This was the viewpoint, not of the Catholics, obviously, but it was the viewpoint of the, the atheistic Freemasonic revolutionaries of this so-called Enlightenment period. They looked at after those who spend time in a monastery is basically wasting their time. They just sit around and pray, and seen as they don't really have a belief in God, therefore, they're just wasting their time. They're almost freeloading, if you will. And so this was the mindset of these revolutionaries during the French Revolution. And they sought out to put an end to the monastic life, and to really, to as best as possible, put an end to the Catholic Church in general, many steps were taken towards this. They adopted uh, an old, uh, a new type of calendar that uh, had, uh, I believe, ten days in it, so that they could get the rid, of, rid of the idea of Sunday. And they tried to do various other things to, to crush it out. And uh, under the reign of terror, Robespierre, there were many uh, priests and bishops and, and religious that were put to death as they were deemed enemies of the state. And so, this was a, the fate of one group of religious nuns, Carmelites, whose feast day comes up at the end of this week on the 17th. They were uh, Carmelite nuns from the small town in northern France called the Compagnon. And this group was there when all of a sudden soldiers came to them and approached, and they first demanded that they fall in line with the rules of the state. They said that it is illegal for you to have vows. So no more making you know, solemn profession of your vows any longer. And they tried to enforce that. Well, the sisters still made their vows, knowing that they owed their obedience to God and to the church above the state. Then another time the soldiers came and they told them that they were no longer allowed to wear their habits. And they tried to force them out in this way. But once the soldiers had left, they, they redonned their habits, once again obeying the church above the state. And lastly, they finally came in and took over the monastery and, and banished them, kicked them out of that holy place of dwelling. And eventually came and arrested them. And they took these, these nuns, 
There were 14 professed sisters and two novices and two assistants that were just lay people who, who did work and spent time at the convent doing charitable works for the sisters, that they took all of these people, 18 total, rounded them up and brought them in to Paris for, for trial, to which they were afforded no legal counsel. They were not allowed to make any statements of defense, and it was just a quick bringing before the judge and being condemned to death. And so they were led from the courthouse to the guillotine to be put to death. And as it was at that time, with all these people being being killed, the state was in a, in a, in a large uproar, and people would come out and they would jeer and mock those who were condemned to die as they were on their way to their very death. And they started to do this to the sisters, but they saw along the way the example that these nuns had given, and they soon started to fall into silence and no longer jeered them. These nuns were praying for those people who were going to execute them. One nun was an elderly lady who was barely able to walk, and she was pushed down by one of the soldiers in a most cruel way. And instead of getting angry, she slowly got up, and she turned to the soldier and told him that he, she, would, she forgave him for doing that, and that she would remember him in her prayers. And so they went, going to the guillotine, and they began to sing. They began to sing these great songs of praise of our Lord and songs of thanksgiving to our Lord. They sang songs like the Veni Creator, the song that they sang after their professions into the order. When they made their solemn vows, they had the, the habit of singing the Veni Creator. They sang Psalm 116, the Laudate Dominum Omnes Gentes, praise be to you, O Lord, from all the nations. They sang the Salve Regina. And they kept singing these beautiful hymns of praise as they walked to their spot of death. And then there they started with the, with the youngest and worked to their, all their way up to the, to, the, to the mother superior. So they started with the young novices and began to execute them first. And as they continued to sing songs of praise, the first one, the first novice, came, went over to the mother superior, knelt down, and asked her for permission to die. And the mother gave her a little blessing and gave her that permission. And she, and she boldly walked up the steps, singing all the way, and was executed. This continued all the way down through their ranks. One by one, they'd kneel before the Mother Superior. And even though the state said that they could not have an avow of obedience, they asked in obedience for that same permission. And then, by that holy virtue, they went forth to gain their glorious crown, one by one. And the songs continued. The only sound to be heard in the entire plaza was that of the hymns of praise of, the, of the, these sisters. And not another person spoke a single word. And, one by one, a voice was quieted, until finally they got to the end... And the last one was the very mother superior of the, of the convent herself, was led up singing until the blade finally quiet, quieted her, and they were all put to death 
in this in this glorious martyrdom. These brave religious willingly died without a bit of hesitation. But why? Why did they so eagerly go to their deaths? Well, you see, it was out of love of our Lord. They loved our Lord more than anything else in the whole world, even more than their, their own lives. And they loved their faith more than anything else in the world, even more than their lives. And they loved their church more than anything else, even more than their own lives. And they gladly shed their blood for this. They imitated the very example given to them by their chosen spouse in life, our Lord Jesus Christ. They imitated him by giving their very lives for that very for the faith. And it is our Lord in his shedding of the precious blood that we see he does willingly out of that same cause, out of the cause of love. He did it for love of us. He did it to pay the price that was due to our sins. He did it so that we could have the chance to save our souls despite our fallen human nature, despite the fact that we had so many times disobeyed him and his laws and the things that he had laid down for us. That so many times we have fallen short in our love of him. He, in his infinite perfectness, never fell short in his love for us. And he's always there to offer that same redemption to us. How? All we have to do is merit the fruits that sprang forth from that ultimate sacrifice that he paid. We sin. We offend our Lord. We fall short of the things that we know that we have to do to honor and to love him. And the person who is offended above all else is our blessed Lord. Yet, despite being the object of our sinfulness, the, the offenses we give to him, he is the first to forgive us. He is so quick, so ready to offer that pardon unto us through that wonderful sacrament he gives us, the sacrament of penance. And he's so willing and so ready to give us a wellspring of graces that flowed from his holy wounds every time we come to the sacrifice of the Mass. There, Calvary repeated in an unbloody manner upon the very altar before our eyes. Our Lord, body, soul, divinity, coming to us to be able to be received corporally and to dwell within us, making us that living tabernacle, making us just like Our Lady, carrying him around. It is because of his love for us that he didn't stop merely at the circumcision when he shed a few drops of blood enough to redeem all of mankind, but rather went all the way to Calvary, all the way to the very piercing of his side and to to the pouring out of the very last drops of his blood, giving his total all for us. And it's his death that has 
open those gates of heaven to us. And it is death that we too must embrace. Not that I'm not speaking here of the physical death that we will encounter each and every one of us, but I speak of a dying to ourselves, a dying to our very free will, that free will which leads us to sin so often. It's that giving of our will. It's that fighting against our base passions that we can save our souls through. It is by giving our will to follow His will in our lives that we will save our souls. We see this every day in our daily lives by the temptations that come to us. We have opportunities to practice virtue. We have opportunities to grow in grace and grow closer to our Lord. But how often do we make best use of those opportunities? The virtues that are given to us to practice, we do at times practice them. We especially practice them when it's easy. However, it is in those times when it is most difficult to practice the virtues that we can gain the merits for that. Because it is hard. That is when it separates us from all the rest of the, of the world. You know, the pagans will be kind to those who are kind to them. But it is the Christian who trades, who trades blows with kindness of their own in return. Who, tra- who trades offenses with charity. It's when someone wrongs us and we still respond in kindness that we exercising that virtue of charity. It's when we are tempted to have thoughts against purity with strong thoughts and we fight against them that we practice that great virtue of purity. It is when we are so inclined to do things that we just want to, to, to do to, to make ourselves to have it easy, if you will, to relax, like not doing our prayers or not performing different duties in our lives when we're called to do them. And we fight against those inclinations and we pray anyways or we, or we follow through with the work that we do not want to do because we know it's God's will. It's then that we practice that diligence in that, in that virtuous way. It's only by fighting temptation that we conquer temptation. So often people will come and say, Oh, you know, Father, I, I think I'm doing really well because I haven't had too many temptations against this one thing or the other thing. Well, that's fine. But how do you act in the times of great temptation? That's what really matters. We're not really succeeding by having less temptation. We are really succeeding by having great temptations and still being able to rise up and work with the grace of God to fight against them and to not fall into that sin. That's where that death to self comes. It is something that is a supernatural action. It is something that we don't do without God's aid, but at the same time is looked upon by the world as a weakness. We know ourselves how hard it is. 
but the world sees it as a weakness. You're not independent-minded. Why are you just following along with someone else's rules rather than doing what you want to do for yourself? Or, why are you not going along with the program as we all know and do? Why are you not doing what we do? Because you follow some church and some religion. Well, it's because of the God who is the head of that religion, whom we love, that we do these things. And it is not an act of weakness to obey, but actually rather an act of great strength and a great action of piety that's difficult to perform. We see that in that wonderful holy example of those nuns. The world thought that they were conquering them. The world thought that they were weak because they died. But we see a great triumph of fortitude in doing that hard thing, the giving of their own lives for God. The world thought that they had conquered our Lord himself by putting him to death. But we know that he conquered all sin and all death itself by his dying and then his triumphant rising again from the dead. And it is our dying to ourselves, it is our following the will of God rather than our own, the giving of our very substance, the greatest gift given to us, our free will. We give back to our blessed Lord freely. We follow him above all else. And it's that dying to ourselves that we will one day open up the gates to eternal life forever. May God bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We would like to remind you that you are listening to From the Pulpit on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Matthew Arthur, and I am presenting sermons by Father Stephen McKenna on the subjects of dying to ourselves and distractions. We want to remind you that From the Pulpit is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. And now for the continuation of From the Pulpit. Sanctify our offerings, O Lord, and cleanse us from the stains of our sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. These words, dear brethren, come to us from the secret prayer of this Mass, which is said right before the preface. Long ago, in China, there there used to be these rules of, of different emperors, and under one of the emperors, there was a servant. Oh, he had many servants, really. But this one particular servant that he had and was there, and he uh, and he was very faithful. So for several years to the emperor and lived a good life under under the Chinese emperor. But then all of a sudden, he contracted this this really hard disease and he became very very ill. And when that had happened, the emperor and his party became very afraid that he might be contagious, and so they cast him out onto the streets because they did not want to catch the disease themselves. And they sent him out, and they sent him with nothing. They just sent him to be to, to fend for himself. 
out onto the streets. The problem being is that he had come at a very young age to serve the emperor, and he had no family. He had no friends outside of the palace, and so he had nobody to turn to in order to assist him in his time of need. And so there he was on the street, laying there very ill and, and near death, and these, this one poor family, this poor Chinese family, happened upon him. And so they took him into their house, and seeing that he was in great need of, of aid, they brought him into the house, and they cared for him. And now they were very poor. They had barely enough to get by themselves, but they gave of their own substance. They gave him food to eat and water to drink and all the things to nurse him back to hell. And slowly he gained his strength back. And all the while, the family was so generous in everything that they did for him. And as time went on and he became somewhat friendly with the family, the family decided that they would talk a little bit. They often have conversations. And in conversation one day, they were talking and the family started talking about the Catholic faith. They started talking about the things of the church and of Christ. And the, the, the servant, upon hearing these things, became very, very angry. He became very indignant in his heart because he knew the emperor hated Christianity and was persecuting that church, and he wanted nothing to do with that because it was against the emperor. And so he shouted out in anger at them and he threatened them and he said, I will turn you into the persecutors for speaking like that. How dare you bring up such, such horrible things? Why do you not embrace the faith of our ancestors? And the Christians, they were there and they just, they had nothing to say that they said that all they could say was that this is what they knew to be true, that this is the true faith. And the, and the young man now nursed somewhat back to health stormed out of their house in anger. And he found himself once again back on the streets. But now he was of fair health, so he lived on his own for a while and was trying to make ends meet, but still couldn't. He was unemployable, basically, because he had no experience other than serving the emperor and knew nobody. And so as time went on, he quickly went through his, his whatever little means that he had, whatever little food and, and things that he had taken with him. And he became impoverished all over again. And there he found himself once again sick on the streets and becoming weaker by the day. And as he had scarcely the strength to, to carry on one more day, he finally humbled himself and dragged himself back to that same family's house, the one family that had shown him kindness. And there when he knocked on the door, he fell upon his knees and begged their forgiveness and asked them to please help him again. And the family, without holding even the slightest bit of grudge or the slightest bit of anger towards the servant, took him back into their home and once again began to feed and nourish him and nurse him the best that they could. And as he saw them do this and this example of it all, he, his eyes filled up with tears. And he looked at them from his bed and he said that any religion which prompts its followers to show such kindness, even when they've been wronged, certainly has to be the one true religion of the true God. I know that I'm about to die. Please, will you instruct me in your faith and enter me into your church? And the family rejoiced and they gladly gave him 
the brief instruction that they needed because he was close to death. And he was baptized and received into the faith and died with praises of God upon his lips in the order of sanctity. And we see that family and we think to ourselves, how they, what they did gained convert to the faith, gained the soul for Christ, gained the soul to heaven. And we look upon ourselves and we think, well, that's what I want to do too. I want to convert souls. I've always wanted to convert souls. Any good Catholic has that mindset, at least, of the notion of how good it is to bring people to the truth, to the faith. And so we all desire this great good, the, the conversion of souls to Christ. And yet we find ourselves oftentimes falling upon very little in the way of success in that in that measure. And we wonder where we go wrong. But in reality, oftentimes, it's because we've lost sight of what is most important about the faith, which is the practice of it in itself. We find ourselves distracted by so many things, whether it be the distractions of our own daily lives, that oftentimes is very easy to fall into. We, we have to worries about our jobs, and we have worries about our families and our children, and we have worries about whatever else may come across our path. And those things we have to take care of, of course. They're going to always be there. And it's important that we, that we follow through on that. And then we have other distractions, which we might not see as distractions, really. Because when it comes to the faith, how oftentimes do we find ourselves looking to, uh, to find and read about the errors of the Novus Ordo? Or we find ourselves reading about the next crazy thing to come out of Francis's mouth. Or we look to find some sort of, we, we find ourselves, you know, reading all these different conspiracy theories. Or we find ourselves reading about different controversies or are spending time on blogs or doing things that is checking Novus Ordo Watch daily or other like websites. And it consumes us and we think, well, I'm really learning a lot. I'm learning about all the things that are wrong with modernism and, and that is out there. And I should be able to do great good because now I can explain it to people, what's, go- what's going on in the church. And they'll surely see that but we've distracted ourselves. We've brought ourselves away from the main point. I'm not saying that we can't know the situation that we are in, that we, can't, that we, have, that we should be ignorant of what's really happening out there, but it only takes us so far. It's merely the tip of the iceberg. We understand that modernism has largely taken over the buildings around us, and the churches around us, and we understand that we have to maintain the true faith as it was taught to us by Christ. But that's all we're going to get from that. What else? What else is the most important part? Is the looking after souls. It's looking after our own souls, first and foremost, to try and strive to save our souls, to still have to do our daily Catholic duties of living a good life following the commandments, trying to please God every day, saying our daily prayers and our rosary, offering up sacrifices to Him. And then, when it comes to gaining conversion, it's coming back to the very point that all the knowledge of the controversies in the world, 
are hardly going to convert anybody, even though it's very logical. Because it's not our words, and it's not a well-laid-out argument, and it's not pictures of hula-hoop girls in the Vatican that are going to bring someone to the true faith. The only thing that converts souls is the movement of God's grace in their hearts. And that is what we have to focus on. That is what we have to see as so important. That family, that Chinese family, that poor family, they recognized that, they saw that, they knew that, and they embraced it. They could easily have pointed out all around them the persecution going on, and you know, look how these pagans treat Christians and how unmerciful they are in, in torturing and killing them. They could easily point out the differences between the worshipping of ancestors and the worshipping of the true God. And I'm sure that they had little points of information on that available in their mind. But they came back to the one point, which was letting God's grace move in the souls of those around them. They saw an opportunity for charity, which God calls us to above all else. And they, and they pounced upon it. They grasped it and they loved the servant, even though he did them wrong. They loved him. Because Christ loves them. And for the love of Christ, they welcomed him into their home. Not once, but twice. And it's by that act of charity, and the graces gained by it, that stirred the heart of that young servant, and caused him to embrace the true faith, and die a very pious death. There's a woman that I knew before, out in... Uh, when I was out west in the Spokane area, and she was very, very simple. You certainly wouldn't call her scholarly in any sort of way. You might even say that she was, you know, very mildly tarted in, in, in a way. She had she had certain, you know, mental issues, but uh, but very kind and, and generous woman in her own right. And when you people looked upon her, they didn't think much of anything from her. They didn't expect great words to come from her mouth, great thoughts to flow out in a nice organized argument. They didn't expect, nobody expects her to, to know all the ins and outs of the, of the, the damage done by modern, modernism. But there's one person for the five years that I was out there that never failed to have a convert ready for baptism on Holy Saturday. And that was this young woman. She, every single year I was there had at least one person who was not Catholic that entered the faith. She gained a, at least one soul every year. And you looked at it and you marveled at her. And you wondered, how? There's all these people around that are much smarter than her. How did she bring so many people into the faith, this simple woman? And you realized that it... When it comes to conversion, it goes so much further. In her life, she was always steadfast in the faith. It was always the most important thing in her eyes, and she practiced it no matter where she was. If she was in church, she was always faithful. If she was out on the streets, she was always living that good Christian life. She was at home, she was always faithful to her prayers. In her conversations, she never wavered in giving in to the ways of the secular world around her, but always maintain that steadfastness in her Christian life. And she always maintained charity 
as one of her highest virtues to exercise. Everywhere she went, she was always ready with her to have sacramentals ready to pass out. Just simply giving someone a rosary, giving someone a green scapular, offering prayers when they had times of trial. Always just being there and being generous and charitable to everybody she met. And always, when she started to make a little bit of headway and see there was some interest in what this woman had to offer, her first recourse was just to simply invite them to Mass. I attend Mass here. Why don't you come along sometime? Come see what we're about. We're different than Gonzaga University. We're different than all these other churches around. There's something special there. You should come and see it. Just come. And they did. They came. And they saw. And God's grace moved in their hearts. And they learned about the faith. And they were baptized. And lived faithful lives afterwards. She had charity and true charity and love of souls. And had nothing to do with any kind of power of argument. Instead, it was fueled purely by her humble little prayers that she offered every day. The epistle today talks out about, in the beginning, about that each one of us has, has gifts to offer. We have gifts given to us by God. And because God gave them to us, what greater thing can we do than to give them back to Him? We all have received different gifts. And we should use them. They're not there for us to waste. Some of us may be very learned and we might very easily understand deeper points of faith. Well, we should be ready if someone needs to learn something of the catechism to be able to easily instruct them in the basics of the faith. Not really worrying about these deep things that you might find in the Summa somewhere, but worrying about the things that are going to save their souls that you'll find in the catechism. And knowing that with that knowledge... I can back it up with a simple explanation. And some of us have had the opportunity, have been given gifts of just simple kindness of heart, that we have a very gentle heart. We should always use that gift to be there, to be that smiling face that someone sees, especially when they have a hard day. And to always have, be the first one to be offer, offering that helping hand, that we never know where that might go. But with prayer, that simple act of charity, reaching out to somebody, may stir their soul one day with the grace of God. That some of us may have been given a steadfastness for sacrifice. That we are, that we are willing to take upon ourselves Little different difficulties each and every day, whether they come to us from without or things that we impose upon ourselves. And if we have that steadfastness for sacrifice, then we should embrace it and offer those sacrifices. If we have the ability to spend extra time in church or at home, offering extra prayers, realizing that those things are not wasted, they do so much good for souls, that we might have the opportunity to come across many people in our lives and be able to stand there and offer them something as simple as a rosary or a scapular. Or to stand there and, and to be able to talk about some very nice devotion of Our Lady to them. Something to warm their hearts, to allow grace to seep in and to work, and to bring them with our prayers and our sacrifices 
to the faith. We all have the ability to do so much good for souls. We might not see it in our lives. We, we're not going to all bring somebody in. That We're not going to have you know 70 different people baptized on Holy Saturday. We don't want to fool ourselves in that way. But we can always do good for souls. And even if we, by our good prayers and sacrifices, gain one soul to Christ and to the faith that we may never even see in our lives, it's all been worth it. The struggle has not been in vain. And God will reward us for that, along with those we bring in. So take this example here in the sermon of the, that family and of that young woman. Take that and think upon it and think, that is what I want to emulate. I want to be constantly working for souls in whatever capacity God has given me. I need to always keep my eye on what is most important which is the good Christian life that I lead, the good example that I give, and the constant, consistent prayers that, as a simple offering to God, he sanctifies for us. May God bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Thank you for joining us on From the Pulpit. If you have any questions for Father Stephen McKenna or feedback on this episode, please contact us at pulpit at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to Father Stephen McKenna. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful or beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary or even simply an ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.